0: Listener
1: production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years, covering the marketing, media agency, and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, Telstra CMO Brent Smart is one year into the gig and we're about to get under the hood. Yes, there was last week's news on the biggest overhaul of Chelsea's creative agency setup in probably a decade, which surprised more than a few. We'll get to that a bit later. But Brent is perhaps the most outspoken blue-chip CMO in the country on the role world-class creativity in marketing communications can play for moving the needle on business results and brand reputation. His critics say it's a one-dimensional argument – that other levers for business growth are far more important and that more creative communications is a bit part. Take customer satisfaction, for instance. Believe it or not, Telstra is currently at a record high for happy customers, CEO Vicky Brady said in a 23 financial year earnings call to analysts in August. Customer NPS, or Net Promoter Score, which is a key KPI for Telstra executive bonuses, last year was up six points to 43, and that was three points ahead of target for the year. But the core reason for that lift in customer satisfaction and therefore brand and reputation improvement was not from more creative ads and communications. It was primarily due to the telco giant's massive digital transformation program of services to improve the customer experience. And tellingly, customers interacting with Telstra in its new digital CX tech stack and service strategy are at satisfaction levels double that of the previous tech and service regime and a really confusing product and plan lineup. Both areas, Have been and still are being substantially overhauled. Telstra uses what it calls episode NPS as a core measurement, which is essentially how a customer rated a specific interaction with the company in areas like sales, billing, and plan changes. And as we've mentioned, those improvements are not because of clever creative ads. It's a company trying to walk the talk on customer experience. So it begs the question, how does all that fit into Brent Smart's premise that world-class creativity is the secret sauce that he has long argued is overlooked by so many of his marketing peers and business at large? That conversation should get super interesting. But just wait, there's more. Aside from his creative agency overhaul, Brent is thick in the middle of a new econometrics and market mix modelling rollout with Analect, part of his media agency group, OMG, and he's appointed a dedicated head of creative excellence in his 300-plus marketing team, which involves every piece of work, brand, in-store, or tactical, being reviewed and benchmarked every quarter. Brent is also working on shifting the allocation of his marketing budgets from about 20% brand investment currently, read big emotive storytelling work, and 80% tactical and performance campaigns to a more balanced ratio, which we just might find out a bit further on. If you're a follower of Peter Field and Les Burnett's analysis on brand investment versus performance marketing, this one will prove an intriguing case study in a few years' time, I think. So enough from me. Uh, Let's dial in Brent Smart. Um, Brent, welcome. That was a long setup, apologies. But before we dive into the deep end, you're a year in. Um, What was the remit coming into this new role? And what were you charged with delivering? And welcome. Um, So early
0: in the morning, we're recording this. Yeah, g'day, Paul. Uh, Thanks for having me on. It's always great to have a chat to you. Um, Well, the remit is the same for all CMOs, I believe, and that's to drive growth. That's the number one job of marketing and of chief marketing officers. Um, At Telstra, we have a T25 strategy, uh, which is a published strategy, which we talk about, um, and, and that is about driving growth. But importantly, the way we're going to drive that growth is through delivering a better customer experience and by improving our brand reputation. So... That is really what I'm charged with delivering, right? Driving growth, uh, but 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 whilst driving growth, improving the reputation of the brand, uh, and also thinking about how marketing and brand can contribute to um, customer experience. And, and and I think the important role that marketing and brand can play there is the perception of customer experience. Um, so that's
1: it in the conversations and the lead up to, to joining where did the territory go in terms of how you deliver that Brent? Uh, brand because you do have a really solid strong long sort of history of arguing for creative uh, excellence in marketing communications is that would that become part of the or the central part of the conversation of how your team you and your team contribute to that
0: that business growth partly i mean i think you said it in your intro it's it's, it's a part of how um, brands are built i would argue it's the most important part um but I think I think the conversations were really about um, you know where Telstra is heading and how I could contribute to that um, you know direction. Um, you know I felt a really um, strong um, connection to the leadership. Um, I really uh, the more I sort of got under the hood of Telstra and understood what the company was up to where the company was heading, it's really really impressive. But I think there's a gap between the way the company feels internally and all the many good things we're doing to how we're perceived externally. And as a marketer, that's really exciting for me. Um, you know, the inverse is a problem for marketers, right? Where, you, where you're selling a promise and you've got a company that can't deliver on the promise. I think that's a really tough spot to be in as a, as a marketer. But when you've got a situation that there's all these really good things going on in the company, um, and you mentioned some of them in the intro, that we are delivering, um, you know, the best customer experience we've delivered in quite some time. And yet the perception in the public doesn't quite match that reality what a great opportunity for a marketer right to build the brand in a way where people start to feel that that change that's happening inside the company um, and, and that for me is really exciting to sort of move the reputation of one of the biggest brands in the country with with unbelievable heritage um, was, was sort of an opportunity too big to, to, to pass up
1: well, so let's go to that point of tension uh, in the setup, Brent, about customer experience, the broader change that companies need to do uh, versus uh, – and, and on reputation versus what you're talking about, which is kind of a, a really strong push to lift creative standards in, in, and, and help, I guess, alter the, the perception of that reputation. Um, how do you reconcile uh, the, the traditional marketing remit – Versus um, what's been going on uh, inside the company—that's way beyond communications and creativity. How do you um, bring those to reconcile that, that tension? It's a, it's a kind of a really interesting uh, sort of debate point globally in in, in marketing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and uh, like, as we always do in marketing, we we create a, a binary debate. You know, it's 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 creativity or CX. I mean, it's both things, right? It's an and. Um, and I think where it gets really exciting is when you start thinking about how creativity can fuel some of those customer experiences to make them um, you know, really differentiated, really sticky, really memorable. Um, because I see a lot of vanilla customer experiences. You know, I see a lot of big companies all doing the same work to overhaul their CX, using the same sort of digital tools, using the, using the same human-centered design principles. And therefore, I see a lot of experiences that are all looking and feeling the same. I call it blanding not branding. Um, and I think when you bring creativity to some of those experiences, then suddenly you can think about how can we make this one feel different? How can we make this one feel special, worth talking about, worth advocating about, which is what, you know, NPS is all about. Um, and I think that gets really, really interesting. So I don't think they're, um, you know, mutually exclusive. I don't think they're in opposition to each other. I think that creativity has a, has a real... Exciting role to play in helping, you know, define what these experiences can be. That said, I think the thing we've got to always remember with CX is it's only felt by our current customers. If you want to grow, right, you need to think about how you engage non-customers, right, because you want to make them customers. So so whilst you can get some advocacy and, and, and word of mouth from great experiences, sure, absolutely you can. I think what 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 gets interesting is how can you build the brand in a way where those non-customers start to feel very differently um, about your brand, and and I always say, if you want to change how people feel about the brand, then you need to change how the brand feels, and that is absolutely the role that creativity plays. Like you can really change how a brand feels quite quickly, um, and, and in that way, you can engage and attract you know a whole new group of customers who weren't previously thinking about you, considering you, or engaging with you, and that's the power of creativity. And I don't know anything else. They can do it the way creativity does. So we'll
1: get to get to that point. But so when you talk about you know marketing tends to be quite binary. It's either or. It's you know it's CX or it's brand. If you look at what you've been punching through in, in your conversations uh, and broader debate with your peers and so forth, you you are quite, it's not binary because you acknowledge CX, but you really do punch home um, creative excellence and world-class creative as a point of difference. And so I guess it's um, f- for a for a CMO and for the remit that's happening, you know, as on-market is to broaden, you're sort of bringing it back down to a sort of a, a, a narrower conversation. And I'm just trying to understand, um, you know, how, uh, what the, your role is in Telstra it's not everything is it you are
0: essentially brand and communications it's more than just brand and communications um you know the, the propositions capability um sits in, in in the marketing chapter at Telstra but um you know and, and it's broader than just creative and comms that said I do think that is a really critical core competence of marketing if, if I think about Um, you know, big organisations like Telstra, we've got a whole lot of um, really fantastic customer experts who are building customer experiences who have customer insights, right? They're looking at customer. I don't think customer is the sole domain of marketing like it used to be. If you go back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, the marketer was seen as the customer champion, the voice of the customer in the the company. Now I think we've got lots of voices of customer um, sitting around the table in these big organisations. And that's important because we must be, Customer-focused, right? So important. We put the customer first. So I think marketing's got to bring something else other than just customer. And what I believe marketing uh, is uniquely positioned to bring is creativity. And also, um, I always say that like we've got we've got a lot of customer experts. I'm the culture expert. I know what's going on in culture. I know what the opportunity for our brand is in culture. And I think that's a really important lens that no one else in the organisation is going to bring to the conversation. Um, but I, I, I don't believe creativity is a narrow thing. I think creativity is an incredibly um, powerful concept that can that can not just drive communications, but can drive all sorts of aspects of the business. Because in the end, creativity is problem solving. And we've got a lot of big problems that need solving. And I believe that I can contribute to that problem solving and my team can contribute to that problem solving by bringing different solutions, creative solutions, lateral solutions um, that wouldn't come from anywhere else in the company. And that's the power, I think, of having, um, you know, a creative culture inside marketing and a creative way of thinking inside marketing. And so
1: you you talk about this gap um, between how customers perceive Telstra uh, and the the NPS scores and, and customer satisfaction actually on the rise. Uh, but to the to non-customers or previous customers who might have had a, a shit experience with Telstra, I'm one of them. Um, you're saying that um, the, the 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 job for you is to actually convince those that have not touched Telstra for for a while to actually ch- change that perception. That's one of your immediate uh, uh, briefs uh, that you're looking at now, yeah?
0: Yeah, no doubt. Sorry about that um, poor experience in the past, Paul. You really should come back and try Telstra. Those NPS figures don't lie. Uh,
1: you'd be thrilled to know that I am a Telstra customer, and um, yes, I, I had a bad. I've had bad experiences, um, but it's okay at the moment. Brent, thank
0: you. Well, thank you for your business, Paul. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, look, I mean, reputation is fascinating, um, and I, um, you know, I must admit, it, it's really fascinating at Telstra. So, so as I've sort of unpacked the reputational challenge. Um, there's some really interesting insights and learnings in there. And the first one is what you touched on. Our reputation is very different with our current customers versus non customers. Our current customers rate us more highly on reputation than non customers. So that says, that sort of reinforces what you said in your intro that, like, when it comes to our current customers, you know, we're doing a pretty good job when it comes to delivering the experience. Look, there's always room for improvement, but we're doing a pretty good job, right? Um, the other big gap, which really, really surprised me is between young customers and old customers. So when I joined Telstra, I'll be honest with you, I thought, well, that's my mum and dad's brand, right? I thought we're gonna have a real sort of challenge with younger customers. It's it's the opposite. So our brand reputation is incredibly strong with young customers. Um, our engagement rates on TikTok, uh, are, are amazing for a brand like Telstra. <laughs> we actually do a really good job with younger customers and yet older customers have a sort of more negative um, perception of us reputationally. So that's kind of interesting right? if you unpack that you go, okay, current customers, younger customers, they're more positive, non-customers, older customers, they're a bit more negative. Um, it totally says that, you know, that we, we've got a group of customers who used to be customers um, at a time when we weren't as customer focused and and they are still Sort of carrying around that reputational baggage, if you like, around the Telstra brand. So um, it's it, you know the, the, the big challenge in that is those non-customers they're not experiencing these CX improvements we're making, simplified plans, you know the new digital stack, all this great work we're doing. They don't feel that, and it doesn't change that that sort of long-held perception they've got of us. The only way I think you can move that perception of those non-customers is through brand building. You know they're not, they're not going to be interested in a tactical offer from Telstra because they've got a poor reputational perception of Telstra. Like the only way we're going to sort of break down that that negative perception is is through brand, you know, and that magic thing brand does where a brand ad can reach us even when we're not in market, where a brand ad can, you know, fire the synapses in the brain without us sort of rationally or logically knowing it's happening um, and, and form all that great stuff that Byron Sharp and, um, you know, Phil and Burnett and all those guys talk about, which is, you know, mental availability, emotional connection, memory structures. You know, brand building is the only thing I know that can do that. It's the only thing I know that can reach those customers who either aren't in market or or, you know, aren't very positive towards you. You can still move them. You can still find a way to reach them and engage them. And I think that is incredibly powerful. And that is why I'm such an advocate for brand building. If you want to grow, then you need to create mental availability with more people. That has been proven scientifically by the guys at Ehrenberg Bass. Um, so, so you know, if, you, if that's the job, then you've got to build brand because that's the only way I know that you can increase that mental availability, create those memory structures, do all that fantastic work that brand building does. Uh, and, yeah, that's a big part of the job. Of course it is. With a brand as big as ours, then it's got to be um, a big focus. Well, I think probably um, a good signal of what you're talking about is is the sort of the
1: recent um, campaign you launched in around the AFL footy, right? Which um, w- you know, e- even for even for a hard old bastard like me, that made me smile and go. Actually, one, it was very different Telstra work. The tone was different. You know, it was it was it was a really really engaging campaign, right? And and and, and you, you wanted to follow it. You resonated with some characters in in in, in the film and so forth. Um, now, I guess that's kind of where you're starting to um, try and move. Uh, how you're engaging uh, Telstra with the broader market, customers and non-customers, right? That, is that was that sort of part of the plan?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the kind words uh, about the campaign. I mean, how long we got, Paul? I could talk for hours about this campaign. Um, I, I, I love it, and um, I think it's I think it's a really good signal for where we want to take the brand in terms of personality. Um, and I think I think that the, the challenge with the with, with the Telstra brand is, you know, how do we make the brand feel more relatable and more approachable, and ultimately more likable? Um, and I think you're really seeing that come through in the footy work. We've we've been a long-term sponsor of both the AFL and the NRL, and we spend you know a lot of money on those sponsorships. They're fantastic properties, but we probably haven't uh, in the last few years uh, leveraged them as hard as we could. And when you look at the, sort of the data around the most recognised um, sponsors in that space, we're falling behind some of the other sponsors. So we really want to do something that really leverage that investment and really. Um, you know, the, the brief was to be the most famous brand in footy. Um, and, and what was interesting when we sort of stepped back and looked at the footy landscape, it's incredibly cluttered. I mean, I think we all know that it's really hard to reach Aussies now with um, linear television, um, but footy, sport, live sport, you know, that is still the way to get big audiences. So um, because of that, it's an incredibly cluttered environment. There are lots of brands in there. There are a lot of sponsors. Hugely cluttered, and I think the playbook thing to do is get a famous footballer, put them in your advertising. You know, that's kind of what everyone does. Um, so we wanted to sort of carve out our own space within a very cluttered footy. Well, you went bush. You didn't go celebrity. You went totally bush, right? As totally, we went. We went the, the exact opposite, exactly, which was we felt there was a really um, sort of real, real open space there around country footy. Um, you know Telstra has always been, uh, always had a big presence in country Australia. Um, you know it's a, it's a really important um, part of what we do is how our network connects some of these regional Aussie communities that otherwise wouldn't be able to be connected if it wasn't for Telstra. So we've always had this sort of big presence in con- in country Australia, and we just felt that country footy is the, is the is the lifeblood of these communities. It's the heart and soul of footy in this country. There are just such amazing stories and characters involved in country footy. Um, you know, every weekend around Australia. So we felt it was a place we could really own, but also a place, a space that could lead to some really um, creative storytelling. And that played out, you know, like once we had that strategy, um, you know, pretty quickly we would be able to, to develop some, some, some great storytelling. And, and, and the really important piece in this was what the director, Mark Malloy, brought to this uh, piece, of, piece of communication because he grew up in a regional Victorian town called Warborough, his dad played for the Warburg Emus and, and, and when he was, you know, doing the treatment, he's a fabulous director, a very famous Australian director, but when he was doing the treatment, he, he sort of said, look, this is my childhood. I grew up in these club rooms and at these footy grounds. And, and he just had such an intimate feel for, um, how that world should look and feel. Um, and I think he just nailed it. Uh, you know, like, I think the casting's unbelievable. Um, I think this thought that the, that the storytelling is just next level. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic project and one of those ones where sort of everything came together really well and um, ultimately, yeah, really proud of it. But, but, but to come back to your question and not just sort of wax lyrical about the ad for, for, for too long, I mean, it is about changing how the brand feels and I think that footy ad is is a great start. It really does
1: have you Have, have you got any early uh, um, uh, research or data on how that's landing? yeah, look it's
0: it's it, it, all the tracking is really positive it's 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 got good cut through, good recognition, everything you'd want it to have. I think the thing that um, is always a great indication when you put a piece of work into the world is how much earned media is it generating right because because that's the bit you can't buy. Uh, and it's had a, a fabulous sort of earned media response, including um, you know Neil Mitchell on 3RW down there in Melbourne. Who's he's not the most sort of um, positive uh, bloke normally when it comes to uh, advertising. Um, he 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 had he had me on his show talking about that ad um, for well over five minutes. It's it's, my, it's the proudest my mum's ever been. She's a loyal Neil Mitchell. It's not down there in Melbourne. Yes, <laughs> love it. But um, we've, but we've had that kind of response where it's been picked up in a in a lot of media. And it's it's had a lot of um. A lot of talkability, which is always a great sign. I think that you're doing something that's uh, is really standing out, and getting noticed.
1: And, and it's the same goes for you, you know the 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 industry and your and your peers, professionals. Um, conversations I've had, everyone um, has 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 a really good. That was a really um, good piece of work. The only thing I'd say about it is that some have brought up the the the, the, the sort of this idea. The purists have said, "Well, is there enough branding uh, in, in in the campaign?" Right. So you know, we see we go through a long and an enjoyable journey. Of looking at these characters and what they're trying to do to uh, get to a game, uh, and then there's a Telstra sort of a, a short Telstra bit at the end that says, "Hey, um, we're for footy," or sorry, whatever the tagline is. I do remember it being Telstra. Um, what, what do you say to that?
0: I say that um, my personal view is: I think we've all become very obsessed with distinctive assets, and and, and rightly so. It's 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 you know the literature is there to show if you've got distinctive brand assets, you're going to get um, better mental availability and ultimately more effectiveness, and that's all good. And I believe in that too. But the most important thing is to have a distinctive story. Um, and so I believe that if if you know you tell a great story and you really draw people in, um, then you don't need to be too heavy handed with the brand. Uh, the brand could be the resolution of that story, and and you get fine branding scores. I think I think the reason um, people want to over-brand things is 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 they're telling pretty boring stories that don't engage and, and people don't stick with those stories and want to find out who the brand is. So you over-brand it because it's boring and it's vanilla and it's got no cut through. So that's my belief. It's played out in a lot of the work I've done. I've never had branding issues with any work that I've I've done, so branded very strongly. Um, I think we're about to go on a journey with the Telstra brand where we work out, you know, a longer-term positioning and, a um, you know, a longer-term brand idea, and out of that will come some... Um, you know, brand assets that we can really commit to over time. We're just at a stage where we're working that stuff out, right? So so we haven't worked that out yet. But I look, the branding's not an issue on it. Also, we've got a long-standing association with football. So it's not like it's a new sponsorship where we're trying to establish that brand association. We've got a really strong brand association with footy already. Um, so look, I think you can be heavy-handed with these things, um, or I think you can look at the piece of communication and go, right, what's the right amount of branding based on on, on the job we're trying to do? Also, if you're trying to get non-customers who have a bit of an, an initial um, Telstra rejection going on, then I'd suggest you don't want to brand it too early. I think you'd want to sneak up on them a little bit, surprise them a little bit, Um, and get that reappraisal for the brand going. And that doesn't happen if you brand it in the first frame because a lot of people just initially reject it because they go, well, that's from Telstra and I don't like Telstra. So if you're trying to drive some reappraisal with a brand, then maybe, you know, being too heavy-handed with branding isn't the right approach. So for me, it's about the right level of branding based on the job you're trying to do um, in that communication as opposed to just sort of heavy-handed slapping the brand everywhere, which to be honest, I think is lazy marketing.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'd, I'd love to put that to a few of your peers too, because it's a, that's a you know it's a good counterpoint. Um, and so, just on that, before we move on, uh, where uh, Telstra is, is branding is landing with that campaign versus you've done a lot uh, of ads in your in your career. Um, the numbers are okay in terms of how people are connecting this campaign with low branding at the end um, to Telstra. It's 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 ballpark in, in what you'd expect.
0: Yeah, the early the early signs are good. Look, it's earlier, right? Like you you also. also. So I think that's another thing you've got to be really careful overreacting to the first lot of tracking that you get in, right? I think, and again, I've seen plenty of marketers overreact to the first bit of tracking they get in. I think one of the most important um, traits of a good CMO is patience. And I think you just got to let things build a little bit. Um, so I, I, I try not to overreact when I see the first line tracking. That said, the early signs are good, but it's early. And what is the, what
1: are those early signs? What's the range that you're in?
0: Well, we, we track we we, we track cut through recognition branding. When we we're tracking all this stuff, we've got a lot of data at Telstra, as you can imagine. Mm. And the early signs on on this one, there's there's no concern there.
1: Um, so you're not going to tell me the numbers yet, Brent Smart. I'll try in about six months' time. Um, so, but you have been talking about um, a lot about brand, and and you know the interesting thing here is thing here is that. Um, uh, uh, you've got a massive uh, marketing remit, a big uh, marketing team, and you cover brand and performance. That thing called performance marketing, or tactical, and, and down at you know at, at driving uh, sort of offers and, and um, getting people to convert. Um, now it's sitting. I think uh, we, we spoke earlier. you were sitting at about twenty percent of your budget is, is currently um, in and around brand building and brand investment. Eighty percent is in that performance tactical stuff. You feel that's you know too high. It wouldn't be surprised anyone for you to think uh, for you. You think that um, because you are a sort of a, a brand uh, investment um, uh, advocate, um, what's the plan there? And you are—you've got performance, so you can't like put that as a as a, as a sort of a uh, distant cousin, and you're not really too too um, um, concerned with because it's an important part of what you do, what your team does, and what Telstra how Telstra delivers, right? So how are you managing the performance marketing part of this uh, versus your brand?
0: Well, yeah. Look, once again, I come back to the the, the tyranny of or It's not brand or performance these are not you know binary choices we're making you need to get both working together and from my experience when brands working well performance works better um, you know they work well together um, that said there's plenty of literature again you know i'm a big disciple of um, field and Burnett, and all their work would suggest 60 40 is the optimal mix if you want growth um, we're a little way off that at the moment. Your category for telco for telecommunications communications? It varies. It, it, look, and that varies by category. That's the general rule. It varies by category. Um, you tend to see with the low involvement categories and the longer purchase cycle categories that you actually want more brands. So so even above 60-40, a lot of literature would suggest. Um, so we're we're a bit we're we're a bit of a way off that. And look, there's there's really good reasons for that. you know, telco is a highly competitive category. It's, it's so much more competitive than the category I was in, insurance. You know, like, telco, not only are you competing with the other telcos, but when it comes to a, you know, big device launch, like we just launched the new iPhone, um, we're also competing with all those retailers, you know, um, the Harvey Normans and JB Hi-Fis, and, like, you know, they're pretty competitive. Um, so it's a really competitive market, and there's a real sort of battle for acquisition um, that, that, that happens every, every month. Um, and it's really important that you 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 know you're winning in that battle. Um, so there's good reasons why we're so focused on it. And I tell you, what's really impressive coming to Telstra is I, I sort of thought Telstra would be um, this sort of uh, you know sort of slow beast. Yeah. When it comes to um, retail, it's the opposite. It is a hungry machine when it comes to acquisition. Um, it's really impressive. And so you know we've we've got a really strong muscle in that area. Um, and it's driven those good numbers you talked about in the intro. A lot of those numbers have been driven by our ability to, um, you know, act like a retailer and, 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 and trade hard, uh, and there's a, it's a great focus on it in in the business. And and I think it's sharpened me up as a marketer. I think it's really sharpened me up to to really be contributing to that, um, you know, monthly trading um, battle. That said, you know, you've you got to balance it. You've got to also be building the brand over the long term, creating future demand so that when our performance work, um, you know, kicks in to convert demand that's there, that we're actually creating more of it, right? And 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 that work is done over a longer time frame than quarter to quarter. So you've got to be doing both. You've got to balance it, uh, and that is something I'm I'm really passionate about, and and particularly when you've got um, big goals around moving reputation as well. Then you've got to be you know you've got to be doing work. Um, building the brand and 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 positioning the brand and changing the brand perception. So yeah, we're moving the balance it more and I think that we're we're making good progress on it. And I think ultimately um that'll that'll deliver to our growth targets, which is which is again to come back to the very first question you asked, that's that's the ultimate um, you know, remit for a CMO. In the context
1: of your performance and tactical comms, um, can you apply and do you want to apply and will you apply, I guess, um, this whole notion of world-class creative excellence in brand? Will you, should you, can you do it in your performance and tactical stuff or is that a completely different sort of scenario altogether?
0: You know, I think Drogue always says straight or great, right? That's that's what you need in communications. And I think a lot of that performance stuff, you want to be straight. You want to be straight at the point, clear offer, um, but, you know, Design it well, brand it well, and and in particular make sure it's fit for platform. That's the thing that I, uh, I I don't see enough of. Where you know I see a lot of um, you know integration is so important for modern brands, right? But I just see a lot of sort of the creative is sort of matching luggage across all channels, as opposed to going like, what's the actual right way to turn up in this specific platform or environment that's going to drive the result we want. So. Being fit for platform, I think, is really, really important in a lot of these performance channels. So, so you know, the, it's sort of a philosophical question of what does great look like in performance. I think great in performance is clear, simple, well-branded, um, and, and you've thought about the customer journey and what you want the customer to do at that specific, particular point in time. It's a bit different to, you know, we're trying to move perceptions of the brand um, for non-customers who don't like us much. I mean, that's a very different job, right? Like, the job of performance is... We're trying to convert people who are in market, ready to buy. And obviously they have to already have a pretty good brand perception of us. We're not going to convince them in a performance unit. Um, you know, we're not going to change their mind about the brand. Like it's about converting people who are already pretty positively um, predisposed to the brand and they're in market, they're ready to buy. And you want to make that as simple and easy um, for them. And obviously, you know, with a really great deal. Uh, so it, it just they just work very differently. Um but I, I want both to be great. I want both to be working together. Um, and I think that the other thing I'd say with performance, the thing that I'm really passionate about with performance is is true incrementality. I think what's challenging with a lot of uh, marketing is we've got the full funnel all working together, and it's all driving um, you know business results. But 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 really unpacking how the individual elements are working, and understanding if is this performance work, is it is it Making a difference to someone's purchase decision, or is it just touching someone on the way through who's going to buy anyway? I think that is the sort of fundamental question we've got to ask about a lot of performance work. Is it just touching someone on the way through who's going to buy anyway? The only way you can know that is to properly test and learn, to isolate different markets, test things, don't run it in some places, turn it off. You know, you got you got to sort of have the, um, the 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 courage, if you like, to turn things off and see what happens. You can always turn them back on.
1: Are you doing that? Are you doing that?
0: Yeah, of course. Lots of testing. I, I'm, a, I'm a passionate uh, advocate for let's test things and try things. We did a lot of it at NRMA. We've got some fantastic learnings, and that made us much more efficient um, in our performance work.
1: So give us a scenario. You don't have to go into great detail, although I love detail, but the scenario of um, of just w- what a test looks like.
0: Yeah, no, well, the best. I'll tell you, the, the best test actually came from my last job, um, so, so it's not a Telstra example. It's from NRMA, but I, I love this test, right? Like we're running a bunch of different display, digital display advertising, and um, you know you run the the attribution models that Google and Meta and all those guys love. You run you run the attribution models, and it looks pretty good. It looks like you're selling about thousand policies from 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 that work. But the question um, really is, but did did that performance work? really drive those sales or were those sales going to happen anyway? So what we did, we did tests test where we served um, a very strong performance offer uh, piece of creative to half the market and we served a uh, charity message from one of the charities we supported, IG, to the other half of the market, right? And uh, and we ran that experiment for a while. Now, we ran again, we ran the attribution models um, over it and the attribution model said that, um, you know, we probably sold another thousand policies with with that offer based work, but when we when we had a look at those two different cohorts, we sold fifty more policies to the cohort we served the charity message to. <laughs> right, right. So so we, 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 there's no way that the, that that performance display advertising was driving um, the sale. It was just touching people on the way through who were going to buy anyway. So we turned it all off, and we improved. Yeah, we put and we put in other places, put more in a search, put more in a whatever. We just put it into other places and we we uplifted our our um, you know, affect the effectiveness of our performance. So, I think you've got to be prepared to turn things off. I think you've got to try things in in different markets. Um, and and I think that that's how you can get a sense of you know, what's the real incrementality here? That's the only way you know is by you know, if everything's laid on top of each other, it's all working at the same time. Right. Okay, that's that is your best bet, right? For effectiveness is to get it all working together all at the same time. It is your best bet for effectiveness, but it makes it very hard to understand the contribution of the different channels. Um, you know, and this is where it's sort of um. Medium mix modelling comes in too, which is a really great tool to help do that, and and you mentioned that up front. But um,
1: I do, and I want to get there. I just want to ask you about your creative, uh, your internal creative excellence program. Right, you've appointed uh, Anna Jackson as your head of creative excellence, um, and you do this whole every piece of work. I think right, everything from tactical uh, and performance through to brand, you're, you're reviewing every quarter, and there's a benchmark here. And I guess part of it is to try and lift. Um, you know, change the team mindset as well.
0: Yeah, look, I think one of the one of the big lessons um, for me in in yeah, this is my second CMO job now is like in my last gig at NRMA, I sort of thought creativity was this uh, you know sort of organic, um, fluid. Don't over process it. You know, like it's it, it, it can't be it'll come over managed. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you've got a team of three hundred marketers and the enormous output that we have at Telstra, you've got to be a bit more planned than that. And in fact, I, I think you've got to find a way to systematise creativity a little bit. So, so this is our attempt to systematise and quantify creativity without strangling it, without over-processing it and trying to over-engineer it. Um, and we took learnings from um, the best marketers in the world. So AB InBev, uh, the giant beer company, has won Can market of the year for the last two years in a row and had an incredible transformation driven by their creative work. Where they've they've had the best growth they've seen a long long time, um, and they absolutely um, you know attribute that growth to their more creative marketing. But we we talked to the guys at Can Can Lines have an advisory service. They've worked very close with ABM Bev. We had a chat to them about like you know what 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 are the secrets to how ABM Bev went from being you know not very creative and relying on big acquisitions to grow to being very creative and and having you know awesome growth. Like what 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 was sort of um, the secrets to that transformation, and um, what they came back with was was this sort of um, methodology of of having a a they call it a creative spectrum at ABM Bev we call it a creative dial, but basically having a one to ten scoring system um, where you score every single output that is created, and you create a common language amongst the whole team of of what great really looks like because that's a big problem, right? Like, like I, I sort of always say. You know, great, great is an abused word. People call things great that are just good, right? And that's a problem. So you've got to create a common language of, like, you know, how good is this this thing we're doing? And and I think you've got to – the thing that I've always believed is you've got to have real intellectual honesty around the work. Like, you've got to be prepared to have some hard conversations about the work, and you've got to be prepared to um, be real about – you know, sure, people have worked really hard on it. They put a lot of effort into it. But in the end, it's not about that. It's about the piece of work that, that goes out into the world – that's the only thing that touches the customer, and so I think we have to have some real intellectual honesty about, like, you know, how good is that, and 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 what are our standards? And so um, we've developed our own sort of dial, our own sort of scoring system, and yeah, we 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 sit down for for you know three or four hours every quarter, and every single piece of work we create from the biggest brand ad to the smallest tactical email, um, we give it a score. The important thing is that then we go and give feedback to that team, right, about, about why it scored, how it scored, and we have a look at the brief and we have a look at, um, you know, uh, the original idea, how it was executed. We give them good feedback on how, how it could have been improved next time. That's what Anna does. A big part of Anna's job is just providing that feedback loop back to the marketers, coaching the marketers and helping them understand, you know, how they could get it better. But the really great thing is it lets us quantify, are we getting better Right, like, like, is this quarter better than the last quarter? Are we on a journey to getting more creative and getting better, um, and we can sort of really track our progress and hold ourselves accountable to um, being better? I think, I think, you know, a lot of people in marketing they talk a big game about we want to be creative and we're about the work, but like, do you have the sort of discipline and and the um, focus on it um, that you do on some of the other capabilities? Like, like, there's a huge focus on marketing automation, there's huge focus on media, there's huge focus on these other areas of marketing. I would say they're all important, but they're nowhere near as important as creativity. So let's put that level of focus and discipline on creativity. Let's treat it as a capability not this magic thing that happens in the advertising agency.
1: How's that landing uh, with the team? Because, you know, you could imagine uh, that straight great is probably a, a sort of a, a, a bottom line benchmark that you're trying to push up. You know, not every market marketer, not every person's creative. How are they going with trying to, trying to lift that?
0: So I, my, my sort of mantra is hard on the work, kind to the people. That's sort of my mantra for the, the the culture that I like to try and create. And the second bit of being kind to the people is really, really important. I think it's one thing to sort of set really high creative standards and mark all the work and hold everyone accountable um, to, to the creative output, but then the way that you um, implement that, um, you know, implement it with some kindness and, and and give people the support and encouragement and coaching and help they need to, to you know create better work. In the end, I think um everyone gets inspired and motivated about the idea of we want to do something really great that really matters, that's really going to make a difference. Um, you know, I've always found that more inspiring than than sort of doing mediocre stuff. <laughs> so so I think people get um you know they people people get pretty excited about the idea that you know, we're setting really high standards, we want to do world class work. But I think the important thing is you've got to put the 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 system and structure and culture around those people that that helps them achieve that otherwise i mean hope's the worst strategy right like you got to have a plan on how you're actually going to get there so you know i i would hope that they feel inspired equal parts inspired by the ambition but supported to get there and i think it's really important that you have those two elements in place we're
1: so running out of time, and I've got so many more things to ask you, Brent Smart. But so um, l- let's get to um, quickly one of the one of the hot topics across the market is, of course, um, market mix modelling and econometrics. You've just put a you, you put your contract up a review um, a few months back. I don't know how long ago, but this year, some time. It
0: was about a year ago, actually, it was about a year ago.
1: And you ended up you you, you went to a, a lot of different players, and you've ended up um, with your media group partner OMG um, and and their division Analect uh, driving your uh, your econometrics, or market mix modelling. Um, what are you looking for from that? What are you wanting to get out of that? and what is different about what um, Analect is doing to what you might have done um, hitherto?
0: Yeah, well look, it, it comes it comes back to um, that the, the ability to demonstrate how marketing is contributing commercially. And importantly, to be able to show not just the short term, ROI that we get from all that performance work we've talked about, but also what's the long-term ROI that the brand works driving? You got you got to have a framework in place that you know, that that lets you measure that brand impact over a longer time frame. So so that's really what it's about. Um, ultimately, it's also about getting you know the media mix right and and you know being able to do different scenario planning around you know where we should put the budget and uh, you know which products we should support and um, what's the right what's the right brand and trading mix and all those sort of questions that we grapple with as marketers. Ultimately, you know, you need the data to back you up. As much as I talk about the power of creativity, um, you know, you've got to measure that power. You know, you've got to have the data that shows it's making a difference and it's it's contributing to, um, you know, the commercial outcome. So it's it's about that. And and I think, um, you know, without, without a model that, that lets you do that, I think you're flying blind as a marketer. It's pretty tough.
1: So in a media context, Brent, you know, it's usually about channel mix. Uh, are you incorporating, uh, and so what's the optimum channel? There's a lot of talk in, in marketing, as we know, about channel and what what's the latest and greatest channel to make things sing. Yeah. Um, how are you bringing the creative component into that media channel mix? Because that's sometimes where there's a, quite a, a, a separation of church and state on that, isn't there?
0: Yeah, look, it's hard. I mean, look, the thing we're already doing, and it's really important when you start talking about channels, is, is, is planning to attention. Right so there's been a lot of work done on on, on playing to attention channels are not created equal when it comes to attention so I think it's really important that you start um, you know that great work that Karen Nelson Fields done around around you know attention rates by channel we we're, we're already doing that and that that's made a big difference to how we approach our media um, and yeah you need a screen strategy that 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 has a real that takes into account those different attention levels by by screen um I'd be lying to you if I said I've, I, I know how to um, then put creative quality into that model and, and predict the impact of better creative. All I know that we've got another system, this whole creative excellence sort of um, you know uh, thing we talked about before, that's improving the quality of our creative. And I know from all the effective literature that more creative will be more effective. So it's really about how the two things work together as opposed to I don't think I've got a perfect model that, that, that can actually you know, show the difference between how two bits of creative work. I can I can post, right, through tracking and things know how different creative works, but I think trying to predict um, how different creative's gonna work through a model, um, I don't think we've quite quite cracked that
1: yet so the recommendations the early recommendations that are coming out of your new uh market mix modeling um uh, application is it is it shifting channel mix for you are you changing up
0: where you're putting your money yeah so we're already doing we're already doing that um you know as we're building the model and there's a lot of work we need to do around you know getting the data models ready and things while we're building that we've just switched to a more attention-based way of planning media uh and that does definitely change your channel choices and, and, and ultimately it's about having a screen strategy. Look, you can't you can't get the reach you need on linear free-to-wear television anymore. You just can't. So you've got to supplement it with other screens. But the important thing is I think is having a, a holistic plan across screens that takes into account the different attention levels by screen. And also as a brand guy, for me, environment's really important too, the environmental impact of, of, of some of the different channels. And and yeah, it's it's really a, a much more um, it's a, it's a screen strategy, and it's it's optimised by attention, and it has changed. Top line, what's more, what's less? Our, our, invest, our investment profile. Yeah, the investment profile. Top line, what's where are you
1: piling more into? What are you taking out of? Just as a as a teaser.
0: Well, I think and look, there's nothing new here. I think a lot of marketers are doing this. You, you can't overweight linear television anymore. It's still powerful. Um, and you know Mel Hopkins, my mate Mel Hopkins, is always out there talking about the power of of um, you know free to air television. Well, she's she's switched
1: sides, so uh, you know now that she's um, in linear and 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 beyond, right? Digital and Bvod as well.
0: Well, she talks about she talks about total television, right? Well, that's the important thing is 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 with with you know the channel service, Channel nines of the world. Um, you know we can build a bigger audience through streaming and Bvod and all these other things they've got, which is important. So there's that total television. piece. Piece which is important. It's not just free or it's total television, and then you add in some of the you know digital opportunities there as well. Um, You know, like from YouTube, streaming the likes, and you build a a you know high reaching um, plan with 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 importantly higher attention. Like that's what you got to get. Like being in these, there are a lot of low attention digital environments we can spend a lot of money on, but we have got to remember we're just getting a lot less of of the audience's attention in those places. Um, you know, a lot of it's just scrolled past and, and, and it doesn't have the same impact as some other channels where people will actually spend more time. It's why cinema is such an underrated channel because you just get such high attention rates in cinema, that beautiful captive environment. So, you know, we're definitely in places like cinema. I'm, I've always been a huge fan of out-of-home. When you drive around Sydney, look at the brands that have the best out-of-home sites. It's brands like Apple. Uh, you know, it's the, it, it's, the, it's the brands that really are building brand Um, you know, they've got all the best sites out of home is a fantastic medium that you, you know, you can't, it's the hardest one to block, uh, you know, and it's great for brand building. So we're definitely shifting money into out of home, but, but it's just getting that mix right. And, and, um, you know, making sure that we, we are thinking not just about, you know, the reach numbers, but we're thinking about that in very important, attention filter it's really important
1: really interesting um and so again you, you're probably one i think um we, we did something with um uber uh apac cmo the other week uh, also getting your attention for, for many marketers the attention part is is uh early in the in the in how it's sinking in so it'd be interesting how that plays out listen the final question i've got which is probably a bunch of people have tuning in for this for the we've left it to last they're going when's he going to get talked to about what the hell's going on with the agency model that you've just done um and so let's go there so you you know, you you you've upended um, some very long uh, relationships and some successful relationships, and you've gone to a new mix. Talk us through. Um, so it's TBWA and um, Bear Meets Eagle on Fire as sort of a, one of your you, know, you rate as one of the great creative uh, indies uh, going around um, globally, I think. Um, so those two are in a sort of a uh, in a marriage of sorts. They're, there's not ownership. There's not a, there is not ownership alliance here. But tell us what you've done, why you've done it, and what it's going to deliver for you. Um, and that's you've got you've got about seven minutes, and then we have to wrap this up.
0: Look, the first thing I want to say is I just want to acknowledge that um, you know we had some great partners in in the monkeys, DDB and Chep for a long period of time, uh, who who made a big contribution to our business. So first, I want to thank them for that. But also, um, you know, this move is not about what they were or weren't doing, right? This move was about if I could take a clean sheet of paper, right, and I could design um, the right Bespoke agency model for Telstra's business and for the way I think we should work with agencies, um, then then this this is that right. The thing about the old model we had, classic sort of roster with specialist agencies, you know, brand agency and a and a you know a customer comms agency and a retail agency, and a media agency, um, is is yes, you do get great specialization, which is which is cool, but you also get Duplication, inefficiency—it's hard to integrate, and it's expensive, right? Like th- thats all true, right? And 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 so that's all a factor in this. But the biggest factor is I also don't think it's it's the way to get to the the, the very best creative work, right? So this is about a creative-led model, as you'd expect from from me. Um, and it's, but it's also about a model that is better for integration, and it's about a model that takes out inefficiency in working with a big, complicated. Uh, business like Telstra, where, where 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 it's really easy, and sort of we're where inefficient. Inefficient just sort of happens naturally because there's just so many people, so many projects, so much going on. You know, it's it, it's really you got to work hard to make it efficient, right? And and so, um, so so it's about that, right? Clean sheet of paper. What can we do? And I, again, I come back to my point around this binary nature of marketers, like it's brand or performance. It's 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 you know creative or CX. And I think for a lot of people, it's indie or network. And I've got to make a trade-off there. I can have the high creativity and, and the clues in the name and independence, right, that beautiful independence and strong opinion um, and sort of purity you get from an independent agency. I have to trade that off against, like, the the strategic, the, bi- the big strategic firepower, the operational muscle, the integrated capabilities, and the ability to handle a really big account, right, that I get from a big agency, who are usually network agencies. Um, and not, it's normally a trade-off. So I guess where I started was, what if we could have both? Why can't we have both, right? Why can't we have the best of both worlds? Um, and that's what this model's about. It's about, um, you said it, I think, you know, the best creative independent um, that is supported by, um, you know, a network agency in TWA and, and, um and, and is able to sort of let that indie be what it's great at which is the which is you know creative not try and make it big not try and change it because all the things that we need as a big client can be supplied by TWA the big question was could we find a way for them to come together you know seamlessly um and 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 also in a way that sort of um you know it was going to work right cuz cuz you, you don't want a marriage of inconvenience right you want this thing to really kind of work then the other really important thing is the glue in all this is OMD. Like, then how do we bring a media agency in in a way that's fully integrated so we've got proper creative and media integration happening? We don't lose that knowledge of, you now, they've been on our account for a decade as well. They know our business inside, inside out, back to front. Um, and, and so, again, best of both worlds. I get, I get new, fresh agencies, and I get an incumbent who knows our business really well and, and, and can sort of, you know, um, de-risk this move um, in many ways. Um, and, and those three are coming together. Oh, sorry, I was gonna say those three are coming together through um, this partnership called plus61. And what Plus Six One does is gives us the one account team, which lets us lets us then go and access all these different capabilities. And importantly, one commercial arrangement that makes all these um, that makes these three agencies come together in, in, in a simple and efficient way. So that's it. That's what it is in, in essence. I don't think it exists in Australia, not like this. The the thing I'm at pains to say to people is this is not um, like one of these one client agencies that are built for efficiency. It's not one of those, like like Smith Street for Coles or something like that. It's just not one of those. It's, it's it's not at all one of those. I've you know I've, I I spent twenty years in agencies. I know the deficiencies of those of those models. Um, and it's not that. The big thing, though, is what is in the structure or the or or,
1: or the design of Plus sixty one that will allow, say, your creative boutique shop in in in, in beer not to be sort of turf wore out by the giant TBWA and OMD, which, by the way, are Omnicom. They're both Omnicom owned because it's, so there's, there's some incentive there for Omnicom to try and you know do a bit more.
0: They are both Omnicom, and that's also how we got. Uh, you know, another level of media and creative integration to happen because they're both Omnicom. Uh, look, I think it starts with a very—it's—it's cl- a—it's it's a, it's a very—it's very clear going in um, the structure of the partnership. It's a partnership. They're three equal partners, and that's the basis upon which this is built. So, so you know, it's almost in the constitution <laughs> of Plus Six One that it's equal partnerships. I think the other thing is we spend a lot of time thinking about the culture of 61. One. Plus, Plus Six One lets them come together right, in a, in, in a unique way and in a unique culture. So it's not about three cultures we're buying. We're buying this new culture called plus Six One that brings these three agencies together in a unique way. And we've taken time to architect that and design that and agree to that. So, um, you know, plus I think, you know, really high-quality individuals leading these three companies who I've, I've had long conversations with and who are committed to making this work. And that's important too because ultimately we buy people when we buy agencies, right? Are they co-located? No, we're not going to co-locate them. However... We're going to have a um, you know a collaborative space where they can come together when they need to come together. And the way we work is um, you know every Tuesday we dedicate time with our agencies. And and so basically every Tuesday you've got the whole Telstra team come together, our agency teams in a really integrated way. So on Tuesdays we'll all be together um, in one space. Um, but then people can float back to their agencies. Um, they can be in the space. They need to be in the space. They can, you know, it's not about them co-locating and working Um, you know, working in the same space. We're not trying to force that and we're not trying to build a new agency here. Plus Six is not an agency, but there's a space where they can come together when they need to come together working on projects. Um, So I think that's an important part of it as well. We're not forcing people, um, you know, to co-locate.
1: Okay, final question and then you can go and do your real work, which is some sort of creative stuff, I think. Um, There is a lot of conversation um, in and around trying to bring... Uh, what, exactly what you're talking about, uh, creati- creativity, creative agencies, communications and media together. Now, you, you know, there's a, there has been sort of quite a, um, you talk about binary, there's been a binary line between media and, and, and creative and beyond um, in that sort of they're, they're wrestling against each other in some ways, even though they might have common ownership. Um, how important is the media component to be in, either have creative upfront with media or vice versa, but bringing that together, is there a better way of doing that and is that what you hope part of what you hope to come out of this
0: yeah yeah it's a massive part of this so so it's really important omd is an equal partner in plus six one uh the way we're going to work with plus six one is 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 to make sure that media and creative um are both upstream together and we want genuinely integrated thinking um across media and creative and i think um yeah that that can be really hard to do on big clients um and where, where there is look OMD manage um, our business brilliantly, but it is big and it is complicated. And, and, you know, the media component of what we do is is massive. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, it's hard to sort of then, how do you integrate creativity into that? It can be challenging, but we're, we're sort of mm. um, thought about that a lot. And this is about making sure when we brief, it's really integrated, that our strategies are really integrated and ultimately our creative responses are incredibly integrated. And so OMD will be really upstream, in, in, in all that creative part of the process. Um, and similarly, you know, creative will be really influencing media. It's about the two things working really well together upstream. It, 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 can't, it can't be, here's the media plan, now go.
1: Build some creative around it or something, yeah.
0: yeah go, go, go fill in the boxes. Yeah, you, know, you can't, that that doesn't work anymore. It's got to be, um, you know, it's got to be content and context working, working hand in hand. So we think we've got a model that will deliver that. Obviously it's not going to be perfect day 1 and we're going to learn things along the way but the the important thing is the intent of it is absolutely about having creative and media really really integrated and um, you know, and OMD are really excited about that, and and you know, uh, I want to be part of that. So I think it's going to bring out the best in in all our agencies.
1: Well, I really haven't asked enough questions, but I have, and I'm going to leave you alone. There's a good start for you know what plus sixty one and what Telstra you know, will look like in, in twelve months' time. It'll Be really, really interesting to have that conversation then, Brent. So, um, thanks for the thanks for the time, and um, and look forward to. Uh, a uh, 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 roundabout, a loop round in, in in a little bit to see how it's all going.
0: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. It's always such a pleasure to chat to you, Paul. Thanks, mate.
1: This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer, Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free.
0: Listener.